All right, I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Esther. Actually, we're going to go back to Esther chapter 2 and read verse 19 through 23. Then we'll move ahead to Esther chapter 6. Um, if you remember a few weeks ago, we actually skipped a couple of verses um, because w- what we wanted to do, I wanted to tell this story all at one time. And so this is going to be um, just, a, it's a story that kind of covers half the book of Esther as we kind of follow one kind of thought. Um, <clears throat> and it's definitely um, going to be interesting to see how God has worked, and, and this actually spans several years, how God has worked to bring about his will Um, even in the midst of what we would definitely call a pagan empire. Um, It's at least partly about a good deed that seems to be forgotten. And I know we can relate to that. Um, In this uh, wicked and evil world that we live in today, we can can relate to doing something good and it seeming like nobody notices, nobody cares, and certainly nobody recognizes that good deed. We can certainly relate to that and and know that in in some cases you do a good deed and people view it or call it even a bad thing entirely. Imagine right now if you were to go to a crowded shopping mall, you know, because they're busy, they're getting ready for Christmas and all that, and you were to go and start talking about Jesus. Well, we would think that that's a good thing. Obviously, it's Christmas. You kind of had the right to talk about Jesus during Christmas season, but people would look at that and they would frown on that because although it's a good thing, it's not something that they would like for us to be doing. Um, But this is also uh, a story about the wicked finally not getting their way in everything. Again, if we look at the world, we can, we can see um, that the, the wicked seem to get their way more often than not. It is the evil ones that have the, uh, the, all the money and the nice houses and all the things that, that we think that, that maybe at least it should be a little bit more fairly distributed. Um, but for most of us, we don't necessarily want to see the wicked suffer, um, but we don't want to see them always have success. Now, God is going to demonstrate his ability to reverse any situation Uh, in favor of his people. That's what we're going to see this morning as we look at this, because the tide, you would say, is against the people of Israel in this. Um, Just to recap before we actually read the, 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 the passage, we know that this is taking place in the empire of Persia. Um, and, and the king, Xerxes, he had thrown this really long three, uh, th- six-month party, um, and, and then his, he was asking his wife to come in and just display how beautiful she was to all of these men who had been partying and drinking for literally six months, and she said, no, I'm good. Well, uh, according to the, 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 the plan that, that him and his uh, advisors came up with, they decided to remove her as queen, and have a contest to bring about a new queen. And so in that contest, God had his um, selected choice in there. That's Esther. Esther was a young Jewish lady at this time, and she was selected by the king to be the new queen. Well, that kind of gets us set up with Esther being in place. We meet her uncle Mordecai. Now, Mordecai uh, is some kind of official for the king, but not necessarily a high-ranking one. And then as we look... Um, A little bit later, we're introduced to the bad guy. The bad guy is Haman. Now, Haman um, had been elevated to the position that is second to the king. He is the chief advisor to the king. He is wealthy. He is powerful. He's got everything going for him. And he walks through the gate, uh, and, and there is this one man who will not bow down and pay homage to him like everybody else. And you guessed it, it's Mordecai. 
Now, at first, the people around Mordecai told him, hey, we're supposed to bow when this guy walks through, and Mordecai doesn't do it. And so when Mordecai refuses to bow, they decide to tell Haman that there is a Jew that's not bowing down when everyone else does. And so that's when Haman really looks at Mordecai, and he wants to kill him. Now, he has advice from some of the people around him that it would be too low of a thing for you to kill this one Jew, and so instead come up with a different plan. The plan was, let's kill all the Jews. And so through some superstition and, and basically roll of the dice, they choose the day before the Passover to kill all the Jews. Well, that's not going to work out so well for them. It goes out as a decree from the king. It is a decree that, that, that goes out as a law of the Medes and Persians, so it can't be repealed. And everybody knows now that on this particular day, you can kill the Jews and you can take their property. And so that's where the big problem comes in. That's the big trouble of the story. Well, one little forgotten thing or little, little remembered thing is that right after Esther was chosen as queen, Mordecai uncovered a plot. And so that's what we're going to be reading about today. And then we'll see how the king responds and we will see what the king does um, and, and how Haman plays into that. So the sermon in a sentence is, God does not forget our good works and he does not allow the wicked to prosper forever. So we're, I'm going to read to you Esther chapter 2, verse 19 through 23, and then I will go to chapter 6, verse 1. <clears throat> but I'll give you time to turn pages. It says, Now when the virgins were gathered together the second time, Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate. Esther had not made known her kindred or her people as Mordecai had commanded her. For Esther obeyed Mordecai just as when she was brought up by him. In those days, as Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, um, Bigthan and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs who guarded the threshold, became angry and sought to lay hands on King Xerxes. And this came to the knowledge of Mordecai, and he told it to Queen Esther, and Esther told the king in the name of Mordecai. When the affair was investigated and found to be so, the men were both hanged on the gallows, and it was recorded in the book of Chronicles, in the presence of the king. Now let's skip over to chapter 6, and go into go chapter 6, uh, and start with verse 1. Um, and, and just so you know, that the, this first event, what, what happened when Mordecai unveiled this plot, that was in the seventh year of the king's reign. Now what we're about to read takes place in the twelfth year of the king's reign. And so it's Five years later, when this actually, what we're about to read, takes place. So five years later, on the night, the king, on that night, the king could not sleep. Now this night, by the way, is the night in between the two banquets that Esther throws for the king. You see, once the plot against the Jews was revealed, Mordecai appeals to Esther to help the Jew, Jewish people. And so after a little bit of hesitation, she goes forward and she makes a request to the king that he come to a banquet that she has prepared, him and Haman. So they've had their first banquet, and then the king asks, well, what do you want from me? I'll give you anything up to half of the kingdom. And Esther says, come back tomorrow for another banquet, and I will tell you. So back-to-back -back banquets, two different days, and this is the night in between that the king is unable to sleep. It says, and he gave orders to bring the book of memorable deeds, the chronicles, and they were read before him. And it was found written how Mordecai had told about 
Bithania and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs who guarded the threshold and who had sought to lay hands on King Xerxes. And the king said, What honor or distinction has been bestowed on Mordecai for this? The king's young men who attended him said, Nothing has been done for him. (coughs) And the king said, Who is in the court? Now Haman had just entered the outer court of the king's palace to speak to him about having Mordecai hanged on the gallows and that he had, that, that he had prepared for him. So re- remember, um, Haman is, is, is walking about as proud and as happy as he possibly can. He was the only one invited to Esther's first banquet. And he goes by, he sees Mordecai. Once again, Mordecai doesn't bow. And this is just, it ruins all of his fun, and he wants to see Mordecai killed. And so his wife and and some of his friends say, well, just make a really big gallows 75 feet high and hang Mordecai off of it the next day. And so Haman, that makes him happy, and he is going to the king to get permission to hang Mordecai, and he just happens to be walking into the court right as the king is, is wanting to know how he should honor Mordecai. And so that's, that's where um, this, this sets us up. Verse 5. And the king's young men told him, Haman is there, standing in the court. And the king said, let him come in. So Haman came in, and the king said to him, what should be done to the man whom the king delights to honor? And Haman said to himself, whom would the king delight to honor more than me? And Haman said to the king, for the man whom the king delights to honor, let royal robes be brought, which the king has worn, and the horse that the king has ridden, and on whose head the royal crown has set. And let the robes and the horse be handed over to, the one, the king, uh, to, to one of the king's most noble officials. Let them dress the man whom the king delights to honor, and let them lead him on the horse through the square of the city, proclaiming before him, Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. And the king said to Haman, Hurry! Take the robes and the horse, as you have said, and do so to Mordecai the Jew, who sits at the king's gate. Leave out nothing that you have mentioned. So Haman took the robes and the horse, and he dressed Mordecai and led him through the square of the city, proclaiming before him, Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. Then Mordecai returned to the king's gate. But Haman hurried to his house, mourning, and with his head covered. And Haman told his wife, Zeresh, and all his friends everything that had happened to him. Then his wise men and his wife, Zeresh, said to him, If Mordecai, before whom you have begun to fall, is of the Jewish people, you will not overcome him, but will surely fall before him. And while they were yet talking to him, the king's eunuchs arrived and hurried to bring Haman to the feast that Esther had prepared. This is fun. I'm just going to tell you this is fun because Haman is not the kind of guy that you can look at and say, well, he's a, he's a, he's a sympathetic enemy. He's an anti-hero or something like that. You look at Haman and everything about him is just, it's cringeworthy. I mean, the guy, he, he is elevated to this high position. He throws little parades and parties for himself and he has a party for himself where, you know, he just talks about how much money he has and how many sons he has and all these wonderful things that, that, that is all about him. And even that, there's one little thorn in his side, Mordecai the Jew, and he can't get over it. 
And so he wants to kill Mordecai, but he has such a high opinion of himself that he doesn't want to just kill Mordecai. He wants to kill everybody from the same race as Mordecai. And so he goes about doing that. And then when he has this conversation with the king, you look at it and you say, wow, he is so arrogant and so proud that he can't imagine the king wanting to honor anybody but himself. So this is fun. So let's go back to the forgotten favor. Let's go back to chapter 2 where we think about what happened. So this is shortly after Esther was made queen of Persia. Um, The other maidens who had competed in the king's contest were paraded through the king's gate. Now most likely the purpose of this was to show all the beautiful women that the king turned down because he chose Esther. So it's like here's all these beautiful women and Esther, her beauty and her grace is just surpassing all of those. That's most likely what this was about. So it was more, it was more of a pride um, uh, sort of thing. It was an arrogant sort of thing by the king, showing off all the pretty ladies that weren't pretty enough for him uh, because he had chosen Esther. So the fact that Mordecai is sitting at the king's gate means that he's some kind of government official, a magistrate or something along those lines, something that would have been lower level, but definitely worthy enough to be uh, at the king's gate. Because the gate of a city was where business deals were done. It's where you know, lower level court, court cases were tried. It was kind of a business place. And so the, the fact that Mordecai was there at the gate meant that he was something, but not, quite, not nearly as high as a guy like Haman was. Um, the Lord had given Mordecai and Esther the, the wisdom to hide her lineage. Um, Mordecai told Esther, Esther was wise enough to obey Mordecai, Mordecai was wise enough to know that at this time, it wasn't the right time to reveal to the world that Esther was a Jew. It didn't seem like the king cared. It, it's, it's, it's like they didn't ask, and so Esther did not tell, but certainly if it had been known, that would have been a problem. Now, they're hiding this long before. This is five years before Haman and his plan to actually kill all the Jews. So this, this was hidden before they knew why they were hiding it. They just knew that they were doing that. And I do believe that the Lord gave uh, Mordecai and Esther that wisdom. So we don't know the particulars. We don't know why. But two of the king's guards, it says the ones that guarded the, the threshold, Two of the king's guards got offended, they got mad, whatever. They became so angry that they had decided to lay hands on the king. Now, what does that exactly mean? It doesn't say that they wanted to kill him, but you have to understand that if you lay hands on the king at this time, you're going to be killed. So likely the goal was not just lay hands on him, but to kill him also. So this was probably a plot to assassinate the king, although it doesn't spell that out explicitly. Um, Mordecai finds out about this plot. Not because he's, you know, a great detective or because he's really, you know, just paying attention and watching out for the king. But this would have been the providence of the Lord to let him know about this plot to prepare for the the later things that are going to happen. So this is all kind of God working things out, even though it's a a pagan uh, empire. It's definitely not a, 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 I guess you'd say at that time, Jewish or righteous place. God is still working things out, preparing things. It's, it's like he's, he's moving his chess pieces into place so that he can strike when the time is right. So Mordecai finds out about this plot. She tells the king about it, and she makes sure to inform the king that it was Mordecai that actually found out um, what, was, what was going on. So both 
kings, or, I mean, both men were hanged. Um, when it says gallows, they could have been hanged or they could have been impaled. It just said, it kind of says that they were put on these, these tall poles. So they could have been impaled, they could have been hanged. Either way, dead is dead. And so they matched that description by the end of it. Um, and so they were hanged. The entire event was recorded in the King's Chronicles uh, to become part of Persia's history. Now, if... I'm going to use this in a minute again, but I'll go ahead and say this. If you ever want some very dry, boring reading, read some of the, the, the Persian king's diaries or their chronicles. They didn't put a lot of description into what they had to say. It was very simple. I did this, the king did this, the people did this. What, it was just very like straightforward, short sentences, sentences that don't even require a comma. I mean, it was very plain, very boring type stuff. Usually it was exaggerations of the greatness of the king. It was something that you just didn't, you didn't really enjoy reading these things. It was just kind of straightforward information and facts. This was all that historians had to work with for a long time was the bragging of kings because we didn't have true historians back in the ancient times. We didn't have a whole lot of evidence of what had happened. So these, these chronicles of kings was all that anybody had to kind of piece together a story. And so it might say, well, I brought two million soldiers across to fight or whatever their version of two million is. But you, you never knew what, what the facts were about those kinds of things. You just knew that there was a battle and, and, and somehow or another the Persian king thought that he won it. And so these chronicles is what recorded everything for the king, but even these kind of more, I guess you would say, minor events, um, such as Mordecai revealing this plot. So when you save the life of an ordinary man, you might expect his gratitude. You might expect to be thanked for somebody to come along and say, hey, thank you so much for saving my life. But when you save the life of a king, you expect some kind of reward. So Mordecai probably did expect something, not that he did what he did to protect the king or to, to receive a reward. It was probably just the right thing to do and it was what he thought was best, but he probably expected something, but nothing happens. Nothing happens. And so as we, as we see, we go from chapter 2 to chapter 6, we skip five years by this point, Mordecai probably believes nothing's going to happen at all. You know, we're not told at this time of any kind of reward. Nothing is done for Mordecai. It's just recorded. Um, you know, and as God's people, we know that we're supposed to do what's right, uh, even if we do not receive recognition for it. Um, it, it it's, it's like different things that you, that you see, and you, you watch someone do the wrong thing, and you do the right thing, and they seem to benefit, and it might even cost you a little bit to do the right thing. Those are the kinds of things that, as Christians, we're supposed to do that. We're supposed to do the right thing. We're supposed to do the right thing when no one is watching. We're supposed to do the right thing, even if we're not going to receive a reward for it. There's no benefit for it. We are supposed to do the right thing. If we are busy doing this kind of stuff, Christians are some of the easiest and best employees you'll ever have. Christians are definitely some of the fr truest friends you'll ever have because Christians aren't supposed to gossip. We're not supposed to go behind people's backs and start things and say things. We as Christians are supposed to do the right thing no matter what. We're the type of folks, if we see that you know, a, a dollar bill falls out of your pocket and you don't realize it and you keep on walking, we're the ones supposed to go get that dollar bill and just chase you down and give you the dollar bill. We're those kinds of folks. That's what we're supposed to be, whether we receive recognition or not. And here's the thing. We should not wait 
for the world to recognize our good deeds. It's too evil to even recognize them in the first place. Our Father will reward us in due time, and His reward will be far greater than anything the world would ever give us. And so let's not wait on or expect the world to throw a party, throw a banquet, celebrate us for doing the right thing, for doing the good thing, for not speeding even when there's no state trooper around, or for you know, turning on your blinker, all those things that we do on a day-to-day basis that we should do. Let's not wait for the world to throw us a party because we've done it. Let's do them anyway. But Mordecai had done a, a, a great service for the king, and it does seem like it was forgotten. It may have been forgotten by the king. No doubt it was forgotten by the king and anybody whose responsibility it was to reward him, but God had not forgotten. And so that brings us to chapter 6. So we step forward in time. It's now five years later, uh, and the night between the two banquets or the two feasts that Esther uh, would would make for the king. So this is that night, and the king can't sleep. We understand that that was probably a common thing for kings. Kings have a lot on their mind. They can't sleep. Um, So the the king finds himself unable to sleep, and he orders um, his servants to bring the book of memorable deeds and read it in his presence. You know, it's possible the king was working late. He was, you know, checking his old emails that maybe he had forgot, that, that kind of thing. Maybe he's just kind of going back and making sure he hadn't missed anything. But it's also just as possible, because I have read some of these chronicles of Persian kings, he thought, if somebody reads this to me, there's no way I'm staying awake. It will, it, it, it'll be just like a, a, a chug of NyQuil. I will be gone before you know it if they just read this. Well, for whatever reason, he stayed awake. And they got to the passage where Mordecai the Jew revealed a plot against the king, and that plot turned out to be true. And so when he hears about this, he also discovers that Mordecai had never been rewarded uh, for his deeds. So he goes to his court, or, or headed towards his court, to prepare for the reward. Xerxes was not a man that made decisions on his own. He always seems to rely on his advisors. And so he asks, well, where is, you know, who's in the court? Who can I talk to about what would be appropriate to do to reward this man? By God's providence... And it must have been early morning. We're talking wee hours of the morning. Maybe Haman planned to be one of the first people to make his supplications before the king. And so he was there early morning. He was waiting when the king was getting up and getting ready. And so the the young man that served him said, it just so happens Haman's just walked through the door. It didn't just so happen. It happened as God decreed it to happen. Um, But we see that Haman has just entered the court And his goal is to convince the king to allow him to hang Mordecai. Remember the 75-foot-tall gallows that he had just had built? He wanted to use them out day one. And so that was what he was there to do. Now, the thing is, when you're the king, you get to talk first. And so the king comes in and he speaks to Haman before Haman can even say a word. The king asks him what should be done for someone the king wishes to honor. Now, Haman couldn't imagine anyone that the king would want to honor more than him. So when, he asked, when the king asked this question of Haman, Haman, he lays it on thick. He doesn't hold anything back. He says, you know, get some robes that you have personally worn. Robes that, that have the royal robes and have the royal sweat on them, the royal B.O. That's what we want, to wear the king's royal robes and to sit on a, on a, on a horse that the king himself has sat on and to ride around. 
And then to have one of the most noble officials that the king has to announce, this is what's going to be done for the one that the king wants to honor. So this was the setup. Now, Haman imagined himself in these purple robes. He imagined himself on this this, you know, thoroughbred horse. Now, the Persians knew a thing or two about horses, and so this would have been a phenomenal, I mean, Arabians, that's where they're from, this would have been a very uh, phenomenal horse. He imagined himself, and he imagined whoever was right below him, because he was the highest-ranking official, he imagined someone walking around saying, this is what we do to the one that the king wants to honor. So Haman laid it on as thick as you can possibly lay it on. Now, this is so much fun. Because we know what's going to happen. We know, I mean, even the reader knows. Anybody that's never heard the story knows the king's looking for how to reward Mordecai. And Haman is just, he's digging his own grave. And and, and this isn't what kills him. This is just what embarrasses him beyond all measure. And I love how the writer just, he doesn't even talk about Haman as far as what his emotions were during this time. He just... He just lets him walk right into it. He lets him walk right into this. And this is, this is beautiful. So, um, the Lord is just. And if we are patient, we will see that he rewards us according to our faithfulness to him. Now, I believe that what, what Haman described is more than what the king would have given to Mordecai if it had just been... A, I mean, most likely it would have just been a, a gift of money or it would have been, you know, some promotion or something like that. But, you know, wearing, wearing the king's own robes, that was something special. Riding on the king's own horse, that was something special. Having the highest ranking person you know, that the king has declaring that you're the one the king favors, that would be special. That's more than anything I think that Mordecai could have ever dreamed would have come out of him revealing this plot, you know, against the king. God is just. We have to be patient. We might think that something has been forgotten and left behind. We might think that the wrong people are prospering, the wrong people are getting credit, the wrong people are receiving the recognition for things that, that we have done or that, or that we deserve. But listen, God is faithful. He doesn't forget these things. We should never look to mankind for justice, for equality, for fairness. He's not capable. The reason we have injustice, the reason it's not fair, the reason the world is the way it is, is because of us and our sinfulness. Don't look to us for justice. Don't look to us for fairness. Don't look for us to make things right. We can't. We make things wrong. That's what we do. That's literally our job. God is the one that brings things into balance. God is the one that brings things right. And so let's look at this. Let's look at the reversal. Let's look at what happens. So when Haman had finished describing what the king should do for the man that he wishes to honor, the king tells him to hurry and do all these things for Mordecai, leaving nothing out. Boy, would I have loved to have seen his face. You know, here's the thing. There are some people, the poker face, some people have that. Some people can just, you know, they get bad news and they, okay, Okay, and they walk away. I don't know that Haman, Haman was too much of a diva for this. I mean, he would have, his countenance would have fallen, as they say in the Bible. He would not have been pleased at this particular point. But you know what? The king gave him a direct order and he had to obey it. So the disappointment would have been palpable, but he has to go do what the king tells him to do. 
So, he is obedient. He honors Mordecai according to the king's command. So after this great embarrassment, he walks Mordecai around, celebrates him and all of that. Mordecai goes right back to his job, goes right back to the king's gate. I don't know if he got to continue wearing the royal robes, dressed up you know, in the king's garments as he watches the gate. I have no idea. But what we do know is that he went back to work and Haman went back to have a pity party. And so that's exactly what he does. He goes in mourning. I can imagine him crying because he strikes me as a crying sort of guy. He covers his head and he goes in and he sits down and he begins to talk to his wife and his wise men. Now, remember, he's the second most powerful person in the most powerful empire in the world. So he probably has a whole staff. He probably has paid people that have to listen to him cry and, and, and whine and all those kinds of things. And so these are people that, that had to listen to all this. But I love, look, a guy like this, he's, they surround themselves with yes men. You know what I mean. People that are just always going to lift you up. People are always going to give you the right answer. Even they see that he's down and they don't have a problem kicking him. And so I just, I just love this, that God has reversed this so much that even his wife and wise men are like, dude, you're a loser and you're just going to keep on losing. I love that that's exactly what the Bible says here. So after this great embarrassment, he goes home mourning. Um, the wise men and his wife recognize that if he's against Mordecai the Jew, he will surely fall. And so that's, that's what they tell him. You're just going to fall. You're going to fail. You're going to keep failing. Your fail will be great. Um, this is one of the great reversals in Scripture. And see, the thing is, it doesn't say God did this, but who else could do this? Who else could make this happen? Who else could turn the tables like this. Only God can do something like this. And God has done it to Haman, and Haman knows that he's beat his wife and his wise men. The people that, that, that their survival depends on his survival, they know this is a lost situation. You will fail. We will all fall. Now, uh, Haman was wicked. I believe that he was wicked. We see the things about the pride and the arrogance. And, and you know, the Bible says pride goes before the fall. And, and, and the more proud somebody is, the greater the fall there is. And Haman is having this really great and terrible fall right now. Uh, but we know if he was proud, he probably had other vices and other wickedness that he was involved in. And so Haman is a wicked man. Um, he had been elevated to one of the top positions in the most powerful empire at the world at that time. So... When we look around at the world and we see, well, this person's successful and they don't deserve it. We look at the world and we see this person has been given more than anybody else. Why do they have this? That's really not our concern. What our concern should be is knowing, trusting that God's going to balance things out. He will do that in his time. The wicked do prosper, but it's only for a season because God will remember their deeds just as well as he remembers ours. Delayed justice is still justice. There are times that God waits. There are times that God is patient. Now just think, if Mordecai had done his thing, right then, like he did, hey, these two guys want to kill you. You want to do something about that? And the king says, oh, yes, I do. I'll kill them and I'll give you $100. Just imagine if God done that. Well, what do we have for Haman later? Don't you think Mordecai, knowing that it was Haman that had started this whole plot against the Jews, don't you think Mordecai saw God's hand and what was going on? Better than any monetary gift? Better than anything? In fact, the royal robes, Mordecai probably didn't even care about that so much. The horse, I mean, if you don't ride horses, one horse is just as good as another, right? 
But having Haman lead him around and proclaim this is the one the king favors, Mordecai knew that this was from God. There's no way he didn't know this was from God. No way that he didn't know that God was turning the tables, that God was reversing things. Now, God will turn the laughter of the wicked into sorrow in time. Our hope as believers is that we can share the gospel, that we can proclaim the truth of Jesus Christ and the wicked become righteous, and these reversals don't have to happen. But there will always be stubborn people who do not follow after the Lord. And for those, their sorrow will turn to laughter, their bounty will be spread out among God's people. The Lord is not yet done reversing the fortunes of Haman. Technically, you probably should have read verse 14 next week. But we read it this week. And look what it says. As they were still having their little pity party, and Haman was crying, and his wife was calling him a loser, the eunuchs of the king come to bring Haman to this banquet. Now, this, the reader, the first-time reader, doesn't know what God's going to do next. We know because I, I spoil everything for you. But you know what's going to happen at this next banquet. Esther is going to tell the king about Haman's plot and how it affects even her. So the, God's not even done. This was just an embarrassment. This was just bringing the man low. He still has all his riches. He still has all of his sons. He still has all of his you know, uh, positions, all those things. He still has all that. But in his heart, he has already been brought low. God is going to finish balancing the scales out. We must trust in the justice of God even in the times where He seems slow to act. You know, some of the things that, that bother us are when we, when we know a lie is being told and accepted for the truth. It bothers us when we see the rules broken and nothing done about it. It bothers us especially when we see the innocent take judgment and take blame for things that the wicked do freely. Those things really bother us. As we watch those things happen, there is an outrage within us. All the while, God is patient, but He is not forgetting anything. God is fair. You know, it's one of the first lessons you learn, and, and, and nowadays, I don't, I don't know if they tell kids this anymore, but life's not fair. Um... You hear that all the time, especially in school. We have a test tomorrow. That's not fair. And, you know, the reality is we, we're told from a young age life isn't fair. And if we're not told, wait till you get out there with the big boys and you find out, no, life is definitely not fair. It's not fair because the people that should be working hard don't work hard. The people that work hard have to work harder to cover up for the people that aren't working hard. The people that do right, they're the ones that seem to, to, to have all the consequences for the people that do wrong. We know that this world is not a fair world. But let me tell you that God is fair. God will balance the scales. He will never forget His people and their faithfulness to Him. Stay strong. Stay strong to what God has called you to do. Stay strong even in the midst of an unbalanced and unfair and unjust world. Stay strong even when you think good and bad doesn't matter. You know, I think in, in, in this world today, one of the things that has been completely forgotten is a fear of the Lord. There are things that we don't do because of fear. You know, when it goes to thunder and lightning, you don't go outside. 
And if you do, you know, maybe you don't fear lightning the way that you should. Because the reality is that can change your life in a heartbeat. But what about the one that makes lightning? What about the one that has control over life and death and nature and everything else? People don't fear him. They blaspheme his name openly. They persecute his people all over the world. They reject even his existence and they laugh and they mock people that believe in him. Those days will change. God's not forgetting any of this. We've got to be patient and trust him. And so that's what I'm asking you to do this morning. To look at the injustices, look at the things that are unfair, look at the things and know that God will bring it into balance. God will balance those scales. Just like he did with Haman, he will do with this world. Now, we may be there to see it. We may not be there to see it. The odds of you getting to be Mordecai riding on that horse looking at Haman, they're pretty slim. But you know, that was a victory not just for Mordecai over Haman, but that was a victory at that moment for every Jew over that decree, that decree to have them killed. That was the beginning of what God was going to do. So for the one person that saw it, there, there might have been as many as, as, as a million that didn't see it. But times were changing. And let me tell you, God will balance things out. We have that faith. We have that confidence. Trust in Him. Do what you're supposed to do and trust in Him. Let's have a word of prayer. Dear Lord, we thank You so much for this another beautiful day, a day to come and to worship You. And Father, today, the thing that we remember is Your, your, your faithfulness. The fact that You are just, that You bring things to a balance. We know that that doesn't happen at once, and in some cases it may not happen until the end of all time. But we know that you are fair. You do not forget the evil deeds of those that do not serve you, and you do not forget the righteous deeds of those that do. You are just. And Father, I pray that you remind us of that. Mordecai was a man that would not bow down when he was told to bow down because he knew that not only did he serve a just God, he also served a jealous God. Father, remind us of the fear we're supposed to have for you. Remind us that you are jealous for us. I pray that we would never stray. I pray that we would never be tempted by the things that this world has to offer. Make us faithful only to you. And in due time, we will see a reward that you have prepared for us. Thank you, Lord, because we know this is true. And we know it's true because Jesus has already come. Jesus has already paid the price and prepared the reward. And I pray that we can finish strong as we wait for that day when you set the scales right in our lives and in the lives of everyone in this world. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.